Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Menachalam, Asher Kichanu, Be Mitzvotal Betibanu, La Asok Bedivre Torah, Veharevna Adonai, Eloheinu et Divre Torateka, Befinu Ufiamka Bet Israel, Venianaknu Betze Etze Enu, Betze Eamka Bet Israel, Kulanu Yoder Shemeka Velomde, Toroteka Lishma, Baruch Ata Adonai, Hamlame Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Merakaolam, Asher Bakar Banu Mikol Hamim, Venatan Lanu et Torato, Baruch Ata Adonai, Notain Ha Torah. Amen. Yehi Ratzum, me lefeneka Adonai. May it be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me, and may I not stumble in the matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to stumble or to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to may that it is to hor, and not regard something which is to hor that it is to may. And may my colleagues not stumble in the matter of Torah, and I rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. We want Mashiach now. I'd like to welcome everyone to the rumination for Parsha Chaye Sarah. So, without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Shlomo. And hello once again, everyone. This week is Rumination 5. Why are the flawed people of Scripture called righteous? So, formerly being from Edom, uh, Christianity, you know, you never think about the uh, connection there of people who are considered righteous, that they're not perfect, you know, and uh, I think the word saint, you know, a sinner who got up, a saint, a, a saint is just a sinner who fell down, but got up, you know, like I was raised with that phrase. And it's just kind of like, the saint has to do with the one who is kadosh, like kedoshim, which is interesting because Judaism does use those terminologies as far as calling people saints, you know. So, um, but that's not zadik. Zadik is different, you know. And uh, to think about a zadik having flaws, I mean, we're really getting into something, you know introducing a question like this yeah i could think of numerous instances in the last parsha um well that click to be specific where abraham lies about uh sarai uh -huh. with pharaoh <laughs> oh she's only my sister and then what happens that night? Pharaoh has some really bad dreams, man. I'm not talking your garden variety bad dreams either. I'm talking about the ones that Hashem's coming to you and saying, hey, this is this guy's wife. Either yeah. send them back to him or there will be consequences. 
<laughs> or and then, he, and then he comes to Abraham and says, uh, why didn't you tell me that this was your wife? Because your God showed up last night and said, hey. <laughs> right. You know, what did you do this to me for? You know? Yeah. And then we see this error compounded with Yitzhak because he does the same thing. I'm like, dude, did you even learn from your father about this one? Well, that's what happens when the son is exactly like the father. <laughs> since the Akeda, they both took on each other's Mida. Yeah. But then I have to remember that Yitzhak's primary trait was Kavura. Severity. Right. Why? Because we have that with uh, since his birth. The competition between him and um, Ishmael. Yeah. When I understand from what the Midrash says, I think Ishmael wanted to kill him. Of course. You know, and his mom didn't uh, have any respect for Sarah, really. So, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously that would uh, transpire in how she's raising her child. And then Hashem's prophecy saying, He's going to be a very, very wild man. <laughs> oh, yeah. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him. Yep. So. Um, yeah. And the other one that we see is... Um, yeah, Yitzhak had an encounter with the Philistines then. In his that, day. Yeah. that what would provoke the Philistines to um, fill all the wells that Yitzhak dug up? Yeah. And guess how many wells there were? I think it was seven, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. So... No matter what action we take, I mean, decisions, whether they're good or bad, do have heavenly consequences regardless. There's just no getting away from them. Right. Um, so it's really important to be firm and sure and thorough, planned out as much as possible, thoughtful about anything that you plan to say and anything you plan to do you know you don't want to just like lightly do things this is why the messiah told us let our yes be yes which yeah. if you really think about what he's saying with that i mean it's incredible it's like your word and your deed they match you know it's like your word is your bond as some people say yeah be a man of your word Perform your oaths to Hashem. Yeah. So that way, when things happen, consequential-wise, whether for the good or for the bad, this isn't something that is outside the realm of, you know, uh, like basically, since you are already doing it, this doesn't come as something that reveals that you had uh, improper motives or you had alternative uh, 
ideas in mind, but you were, yeah. this is who you were. You were honest. There was integrity there. So therefore the consequences are the actual, as opposed to just, you wouldn't have, this wouldn't have happened to you if you were, if you would have just been honest, you know, kind of things. So yeah, even the little white lies, you know, because yeah. lies are lie, you know. Yeah, because I mean, you think about Paro's um, image of Abraham. He's like, I thought you were this great righteous man, like holy. You know, there's no one on earth like you, and here you are lying to me. What if you're lying about Hashem? which <laughs> I don't want to think about that, you know, but dude, and the mind of Paro based off of what he was shown and then Hashem had to come to him and put Abraham on blast. <laughs> That's heavy, man. Yeah, it's like you're taking the name of Hashem in vain. You know, is it <clears throat> is it for an earthly sake, or is it for the sake of heaven? Yeah. So be sure in our actions. <laughs> it's something I always stress. You know um, that to be objective. <laughs> in my dealings with others. Because I qualify my statement by saying that this is, again, this is not my way. Yeah, I'm imperfect. I approach the Torah from a state of imperfection, but the one thing that helps me is the sages, the commentators. <laughs> we have to rely on them because their level of righteousness far and away exceeds our own. I mean, we really can't speak to the condition of the world in, in their day, because we just simply don't know, except to get out a history book and learn about the period. It's a completely different environment. Yeah, you know, I mean, only that way can we get perhaps a dispassionate picture. Um, I would recommend, you know, the Jewish encyclopedia nice yeah because as far as i'm concerned the jewish people were far more dispassionate than a lot of the historians from the nations because mm. the jewish people report on facts that others just don't want to deal with because it's the truth can be a very inconvenient thing for people <laughs> Because we have that very same, look what we have going on today. We have this false narrative that Israel is an apartheid state. We have a, the false narrative that Israel is the occupier in their mm -hmm. own land that Hashem has given them. Which, by the way, this parsha makes a documented and recorded account of actually purchasing the land and doing that in the presence of witnesses. 
you know, like, purchase of Machpelah. Yeah. So like it's in the Torah explicitly, like it's undeniable. Yeah. Indisputable. But there are some people who just simply don't care. Right. And this is why people are celebrating holidays on the 25th. And apparently this coming Yom Rishon on the 31st. <laughs> I was minding my business like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with some people during the middle of the day. And I'm going to do it on Yom Rishon just to kind of get to know people. And my wife was like, that's Shalloween. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> She's like, next Yom Rishon coming up after Shabbat is the 31st. And I'm like, whoa, goodness. You know, and I was like, well, those plans are canceled. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, it should be great. Let's just get together and hang out with people. And it's just like, they're probably going to be throwing a party. And I'm like, they would. <laughs> to be so far removed that you don't even know it was shallow way. <laughs> oh, I, I just got this imagery in my head from the Cecil B. the Mill, the Ten Commandments. Moshe's out there getting the Shnei Lukot and the Torah and then downstairs they're like got the golden calf thing going they're partying they're doing all kinds of stuff and I'm like and Moshe comes down and he sees the Lukot and he's and he says and Moshe tells him this is the writing of God and then at that moment Yehoshua hears the revelry going on downstairs. I'm like, you guys have any idea how much trouble you're in right now? <laughs> I mean, there's a noise of war in the camp. And Moshe says, Charlton Heston, I just love him, man, because it's not the noise of war. It's the sound of revelry, of drunkenness. Mm. I'm like. <laughs> a Purim party. <laughs> oh, no They're part of it. And then for Esther's sake, I can tell you that right now. They're with the bears. They're like, yeah, let's drink. You know, oh, this is Dathan's doing there and passing the buck. Man. So I don't think so. <laughs> so you mean they're doing the same thing we did in the garden? It's like, oh, I, I, you know what? The snake made me do it. It's not my fault. Oh, yeah. Let's see, passed in the buck. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the buck doesn't stop here. <laughs> Man. You know? But yeah, just that's just, uh, it's crazy on that end as far as people not caring. Because, I mean, we see the world in the condition it's in because people stop caring and it has led to a decline in the generation so that we can't even fathom what the world was like during the time of the sages, you know? And uh, actually Rabbi Palvinov, may he live and be well, the writer of Garments of Light and apparently other books, which I just found out about. So I need to look into that. But um, he was saying he had a whole section about Yeri Dolt, uh, Dorot, the descent of the generations like how each generation coming after the one that precedes it is on a lower level so today 
it was shared with me about like, you know, making appointments and dates and stuff like that. And people going, okay, cool. Thank you. I'll set that on my calendar. Well, unless they're reminded multiple times, not just 24 hours, but like 48 hours, a week ahead. And then it's like, I have a better chance of remembering attend that particular moment because I've been reminded like three times, even though I've set my calendar, I've set my alarms. And I'm thinking to myself, like, if you request an event for a specific day and you miss that event because you weren't reminded, like, what, what does that even, like, what is that? You know, like, that's crazy, but it's like today's generation is, that's becoming a common occurrence to where you can tell a date it's set, but then it's like, you have to keep reminding the person, even though that person requested that date. And you're just like, am I in like twilight zone or something? Cause like, how do you not know what date you set on your calendar? But then I was thinking to myself, like, I didn't know next Yom Rishon was Shalloween. Until your wife told you about it, yeah. Yeah, and I'm just kind of like, but I don't want to think about other holidays, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I got plenty to think about with the Moedim, so, like. Uh, yeah, I noticed that when I make an appointment, I, I usually remember because it's something that I did that I exactly it's just like I'm gonna set my alarm I'm gonna say hey this date doing this yeah but then when my wife makes one and then I remember it like maybe a day or two before I'll ask didn't you make an appointment for such and such day you know yeah you know? and she said yes we gotta make sure we're up you know because our ride's gonna be here at such and such time so it's not just the place we're going to it's who it's how we're getting there nice yeah gotta be thorough man it's like again doing things intentionally <clears throat> yeah you know? intention have the proper <laughs> kavana <laughs> you know <laughs> so anyway that was all about previous generations what was it like with the sages being objective and all of that so just to kind of keep everything tied. Yeah, I know we, yeah. we wrap trail. Having a, a dispassionate view. Yeah, yeah. Um, which um, brings us to one of the points of this rumination. Um, some believers have quite a bias against being righteous. It's That's just, crazy. Okay, wait. So we just rabbit trailed hard. <laughs> Lots of great facts, lots of great information. That's right, Hashem. And you mean to tell me that's the first line of the rumination? Are you yeah. serious? No, don't be biased. I don't wish that you took the blue pill, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's crazy. I know. that the, There is so much in that first sentence that you really get your mind around that. How is it? Like you and I, for example, we know mainline church doctrine says, oh, we're only righteous in Jesus. 100%. They don't teach forensic righteousness. Ooh. Mm. 
they don't teach that you are righteous when you obey Hashem. In my 30 years in Pentecost, I have never, ever heard that statement come over the pulpit. Never. Good night. I'm thinking so about you, Isaiah So my next statement is so, and I will say this to a pastor, what are you telling me? That I have no responsibility to live righteously? Ooh. Are you saying just because Yeshua gave himself on the, on the execution stake that I have no responsibility? Wow. Are you saying that's the end all be all of the whole thing? Then why did you ask me to get baptized in Jesus' name? Yeah, like I don't have to do anything. Why are you I telling me that I need to do to repent? That's an action. That's a righteous deed. Oh, wow. So you shouldn't even be repenting, man. Yeah, see, it, it, I'm turning that argument on its head because it's a circular one. And putting it in a chokehold. Yeah. There will be a flag on the plate for that one. <laughs> you know, it's like you're you're just chokeholding believers. You're, you're you're restraining them. You're making their witness completely ineffective or non-existent. Goodness gracious! <laughs> yeah, right over there, man. <laughs> You know, it, this rumination connects with it, quite a few others. Uh, Paris, the one for Parashat Noah. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, one thing I really love about that, and kind of a shameless plug for that one, uh, the Gematria for Noah's name is 58. And we touched on this, that he lived 58 years into Abraham's life. And what did he do? He warned Abraham, don't do what I did not warn people that the Mabul is coming, you know, which that in of itself is a righteous deed. Because the Zedekim always warn you, hey, uh, you know, like, don't do that. <laughs> mm. you, you know, you're like going off the Derek, you know. <laughs> yeah. And Noah becomes a Zadik who makes Teshuva. And he makes rectification for his error of not warning his generation of the Mabul, but, but by telling Abraham, don't make the mistake of not making converts, bringing people into the covenant. You can say Abraham pretty much like heard him loud and clear because how many converts did Abraham make? It says in the, in the, what was it, the, um, in that first Sidra of Lech Lecha, and he went out with all that he had. Yeah. Because if I'm not mistaken, you see the word uh, nefesh in, in that. Right, in the same. Nefesuk, so. Yeah, talk about being obedient, right? Yeah. It's like, Abraham's all like, well, Noah said, and it's like, so. Therefore, I'm going to go like crazy and do this to the whole world. 
I just came out of the fire, man, so I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. No aqua water. I came out of fire. Okay, let's make this happen. <laughs> Them rod don't scare me nothing, man. I, I I went into the fire and I came out. So are you seeing a little parallel or correlation to Yokanon Yeshua? Yokanon had the water, Yeshua had the fire in there. So Noah had the water, Abraham had the fire, the fiery furnace. Daniel. Yep, and they're both bringing people to repentance and Torah. You know, this is a theme replete throughout the Tanakh. Get you some. This is, it falls into the main um, narrative of redemption. Yeah. Because that's what it's all about. Our teshuva brings the Geulah. That's right. And you know what's amazing is that it says the house of Yaakov is a fire. So we literally move from Noach, Noahides, B'nai Noach, like all mankind. That's water. The water baptism that apparently the nations are doing. But Yisrael, the fire, yeah, the Brit Malah, the different mitzvot of the Torah, you know, and things like that. And all mankind eventually will be brought to that. You know, so it's just this cool thing about, you see literally in these Torah portions, the transition from the water to the fire. Yeah. I mean, you know, what did Hashem say to Abraham when he was doubtful that Hashem would perform any of the things that he said to him? I am your shield and your great reward. Don't yeah. fear. Um, My name, Abraham. Yep, that's we say that in the Amidah. You know, it's um. So continuing, they think that their Bibles teach that no one is righteous, quote unquote, that all are sinners. That was one righteous, none, not one. <laughs> you know, to put the verse in Romans 3 into proper context, because Romans 3.23 is very widely used, but I think in a very wrong way. Oh, uh, really? Misusing Romans? Hmm, I've never heard of that before. Sorry, that was sarcastic. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, as if you hadn't. <laughs> Good Good evening, Jesus. Got me again. Teshuva. Oh, Teshuva. You know, we have to look at what Shaul is saying here. That's why I got my Ivrit on. Oh, 
You got the same one that uh, that guy from Restoration of the Breach has? I don't know if it's the same one, but I mean, it's Ebreed. Uh, it's formatted the same. Maybe. And maybe <laughs> I don't. I don't oh. know. It is, seriously, though. They have a few different versions because, like, since there's no original text, you know. Um, there's a bold sentence over here. In Romans? Oh, wow. Apparently, it is... They're putting in bold things that are from the Tanakh. Passages from the Tanakh are written in bold. Oh. <laughs> wow. So as you're reading through Romans, anything in bold is what's in the Tanakh. Nice. I did not notice that before. Um, That's legit. Nice. Sorry, you were reading. <laughs> um, I'm going to start at verse 21 in Romans 3. Uh, 3.10 is the one that says there is no one righteous, just as a reference. But let's yeah. go to where you're talking about. Well, the CJB does the same thing. Okay. Because he indents and bolds the quotes from the Tanakh. Nice. See, I don't have a CJB. I do recommend that particular um, version. <laughs> yeah. Are you David, yeah, David Stern is very apologetic when it comes to Jewish thought. Cool. I yeah. do have the OJB. Oh, yeah. And I, I like that one too because it gives you all the cross references and everything. Man, like I love that. And then uh, I I mostly use the TLV, the Tree of Life version. Yeah, that's a pretty straightforward translation. That's pretty close to the original. And then um, yeah. now that I got the Ebreet and I'm trying to learn more Hebrew, I like to use this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, first so, 20, <laughs> yeah. So Shaul says, but now quite apart from Torah, comma, God's way of making people righteous in his sight has been made clear. Although the Torah and the prophets give their witness to it as well. So Shaul here is saying we are made righteous by obedience. Because Torah and the prophets are witness of it. So the Torah is a witness. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. What's interesting is that how Shaul derives this understanding is that he knows that, um, I believe it's in Numbers at the end of that Sefer, that he gives the command to place the Torah scroll next to the Ark. 
Nice. And he further states that this will be a witness against you. Because the Mishkan is also an edut. It is it itself is also a testimony. And so is the Brit on Rome. Mm-hmm. It's a testimony either way, either of your disobedience or of your obedience unto righteousness. So Shaul qualifies his statement here in verse 21 of Romans 3. But now quite apart from Torah, God's way of making people righteous in his sight has been made clear. That's it. We have it. The Torah makes very clear. You are righteous because of your obedience. And he gives the two witnesses that attest to it. The Torah itself which is Hashem, it being the revelation of Hashem, and the prophets also. Why? Because the prophets give witness that Israel's disobedience is the opposite of obedience. Yeah. Disobedience produces wickedness. Obedience produces righteousness, acceptance. And Zadik, uh, the righteous, the just, they shall live by faith. Amen. Shaul so, quotes that one a lot. So if we go through a couple of times in the Basora and the letters where the law and the prophets are brought up, the very first time, Matthew 5, 17. Mm. Mashiach says, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. So basically, you have the Torah and the prophets like they go together the torah and the half torah these are the witnesses right so then it says in matthew 7 therefore all things that you would do uh, therefore whatever this is the king james version i don't know why but all things whatsoever you would that should do to you, do even to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So do unto others as you want done unto you. That's the law and the prophets, which is basically fulfilling the Torah. So what you're talking about in Romans 3.21 is echoed there as Mashiach himself tells us. <laughs> and Matthew 22, uh, what's the greatest commandment? And then he does the, the Shema and adds in love your neighbors, you love yourself. And it says on these two mitzvot hang all the law and the prophets. So just this whole theme of law and the prophets. That's, I've never even thought about the number of times those that occurs, that phrase. They go together. This is why we have the Torah and the Haftarah reading every week. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, they're thematically connected. Yeah. Because you're drawing out a narrative that exist in both. 
Yeah, they said that the Haftarah concealed the Torah portion. So that way, if you're not studying the Torah portion and all you have is the prophets, based off of what the Haftarah is, you'd know what the Torah portion is. Yeah. It's kind of like the Zerah Shabbat um, is using the words that you see in the Torah portion. You see them being used by the Nevi'im. Yeah. And when you study carefully the Talmud, you see the sages do this very thing. Like they unpack the theme, they unpack the narrative and get to the heart of the pursuit that they're dissecting so that you can see how deeply intertwined the Nevi'im are with the Torah, repeating its themes, its narratives. This is why it's very important. I always ask the question, what is the mark of a true Nevi'im? Torah. What they say never happens. Ooh. Why? Because Hashem would rather bring blessing than judgment. Because how many times do you see Hashem saying, if, let us reason, okay, I'll quote Yeshayahu, chapter one. Come now, let us reason together, says Hashem. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be like wool. They'll be like crimson. They shall be white as snow. If you are obedient, you will eat of the good of the land. But if not, the sword. Yeah. He, see, there's a theme in the narrative there, and I would connect that with the 10 spies who were disobedient, and then Yehoshua and Caleb who were obedient. The spies didn't get to go into the land, so they could not enjoy it. Rather, Yehoshua and Caleb did, and we know that Yehoshua was strengthened by Moshe to replace him and to lead the people into the land and to cleanse it. Yeah, which you know is a tikkun for his father. Because Yehoshua's father is the one who led out the tribe of Ephraim from Mitzrayim too early. And they were slain by the Philistines. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the known character, his actual name was Known. And Known was the leader of the Ephraimites that left. So the fact that his son, Yehoshua, gets to lead the children of Israel in total into the land is like oh, a beautiful yeah. completion of a picture. You know, that reminds me, Shvile Pincus mm -hmm. had a really nice drosh about the noon and the noon Sophie. Oh, yeah. How, yeah. The, how the noon is bent, humble. And the, and the noon Sophie speaks of being, you know, proud in Hashem. Not the kind of earthly pride, but that which emanates from Hashem, because, uh, you know, your strength comes from Him. Right. So we had these two aspects of Yehoshua that he inherited from his father, but also what he inherited from Moshe, 
because he was his protege for what, 40 years? At least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that was really beautiful. Fantastic. I mean, you know. Well, let's take it up a notch. What's Who else does Yehoshua descend from? Yosef. Azadik. Yehoshua, Yeshua, Ben Yosef. Because what happened to Yosef? Yosef was the first one sent to Mitzrayim. So the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Get you some yeah. of that. And what Yosef told his brothers when he revealed himself to Yehuda, and why did Yosef reveal himself to his brothers? What happened? What had to happen before that? To Shuva. Exactly. Yehuda took responsibility for what he did. Exactly, yeah. And then, you know, Yosef says to them, don't grieve in your heart about this. This was meant to be. That Hashem will have us come down here because of the famine in Canaan. So. Yeah. I just love that full circle, though. You go from Yosef to Yeshua <laughs> and you get leaving the land and being brought back into the land. <laughs> oh, man. And OK, ratchet up even more. What is Matt? How does Matai describe uh, Yosef? Regarding Miriam. Zadik? Yes. He did not want to put away Miriam. Put her to <laughs> an open shame. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, just righteous deeds. This is, this is what we're talking about here. Righteous deeds. That caused these people to be righteous, even in spite of their flaws, in spite of all that. Hashem declares them to be righteous. Wow. And this is at the birth of our master, even before that. Mm -hmm. So explain to me how it's restricted to Yeshua only. Yeah, I'm in um, chapter 18 of the Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2, and it's talking about the Zadik, how he becomes one with Hashem. He gets to operate with the same authority and abilities as Hashem and gets control over nature and can bend it to his will. That's what's granted to a Zadik. <laughs> so I'm like losing my mind over here. I'm like, oh, dude, Moshe at the Yom Suf. What does Hashem tell Moshe? You raise your staff. And the water divides. Azadik has command over the, te the Teva, which yeah. is the same Gematria as Elohim. 
Yeah. la. <laughs> Which you know what this means. Noak could have stopped uh, the, the whole kit and caboodle. Man, you know, it's... You know, you, you got to take stuff like that in and realize that what we do down here has an effect in Hashemayim, in the heavenly court. It could change it really the degree. Does. It's a big deal to not eat pork, man. Like, kashru, bro, like, you're accessing some superpower. <laughs> like, for real stuff. Oh, man, like Superman running into a telephone booth and whoop! <laughs> Bob Manor, Cart Kent. Now he's Kalel, <laughs> <laughs> which is funny because that means like L, like God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Boy, that's a drop right there, man. The Zadik, seriously. <sighs> okay, keep going. I mean, that puts Romans three twenty one that the really good context. Because he goes on to say, and it is a righteousness that comes from God. I thought it was Jesus. Good. Hello. Look at that. This is, listen to this righteous sage. And it is a righteousness that comes from God through what? Emuna. Of Yeshua the Messiah, he's connecting the the righteous commandments because in Psalm one nineteen it says what, and your commandments are altogether righteous. He's connecting the faithfulness of Yeshua with the righteousness of the commandments of Hashem. To all who continue trusting, for it makes no difference whether one is a Jew or a Gentile. <laughs> Since all have sinned and come short, get this, watch this, and come short of earning God's praise. I thought we couldn't do that. Because we read in Lech, what do we read in Lech Lecha concerning the covenant of the parts? And Abraham believed him and Hashem counted it to him as righteousness. So get this, because you just said Jew, Gentile, right? Yeah. Tell me why the term in Judaism is Ger Zadik. A righteous Gentile. And if you have any doubts, I'll ratchet this up more. Oscar Schindler. Where is he buried? Is he in a Jewish cemetery? Yes. And guess where? Where? Yerushalayim. Good night. Counted as Zadik Goim. As we say in the hood, that's big business right there. <laughs> Bro, 
Are you serious, man? He saved 1100 from Auschwitz. And the descendants of those are still living today. Their, grand, their children, their grandchildren, and so forth. They carry the memories of the Holocaust. I would further add to that, that generation is dying out. But mm -hmm. thankfully, they are passing those memories to their children. Amen. From generation and generation, we pass it on. Uh, and you shall teach these things diligently to your children. Devari. <laughs> Another righteous deed. Yeah, remembrance is actually one of the mitzvot. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the verb that precedes uh, Shabbat in Exodus 20, verse 8 is zakher, and it's an infinitive verb. Wearing that target out, bro. You're wearing it out. <laughs> um, and that one is on the Katal stem to drive the point home even more. Active voice infinitive. Mm -mm -mm. This is why we call each day Shabbat. Today is the first day of Shabbat, the second day of Shabbat, Shabbat, third day of Shabbat, all the way to Shabbat. Always remember the Shabbat. Remember Shabbat is not for the sake of the weekdays, but the weekdays are for the sake of Shabbat. Abraham mm -hmm. Yosef Heschel from his book, The Sabbath. I got that book, by the way. Oh, nice. Yep. I always think of that. I've read it quite a few times over. And man wasn't made for the Shabbat, but the Shabbat was made for man. And it was on that day that Hashem placed Adam into the garden. Yep. Because if it wasn't for the Shabbat, we'd already be in exile. Like we, we ate from the tree. Yeah, we was like... Yeah, we got kicked perfect. out. Okay, you can have the Shabbat, but sundown, buddy, you're out. <laughs> Do your Havdalah, and that's it, your history. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's the other thing about Havdalah and why we do it, is to remind us. But yeah. also to the fact that he's going to bring us back in. Yep. Because the Gani Dan is the interface to the Adamic consciousness that we have been misaligned with. Yeah. So, you know, the, there's a thing of the same way you went out is the same way you come in. The way we made it into the garden and we made it into Shabbat was through Teshuvah. That's why we sing a song to the Shabbat. Mis shir, mis shir, shir leom ha shabbat. Right? Yeah. And so that's why one of the reasons why we have the commentary, what brings the geula is teshuva. That's how we got it originally. 
what was um, one of the Pasuk and Devarim where Moshe says, um, you know, blessed are you when you go and blessed are you when you come. Oh yeah, Kitabo uh, Devarim, I think 26. Yeah. Um, yeah, it could be the blessings and the curses section. Yeah. It is, oh uh, no, it's not 26, it's 20, 28. Yeah, 28. <laughs> um, then Romans 3.24, by God's grace, without earning it, all are granted the status of being considered righteous before him. through the act of redeeming us from our enslavement to sin. <laughs> that was accomplished by Messiah Yeshua. So, so in a way, you know, they are correct. All have sinned, and ultimately no one is righteous when compared to the perfect example of righteousness, Hashem himself. Yeah, because right. Hashem is called a Zadik. Yes. <laughs> but does that mean we can't be like him? Yeah, we, we clearly just brought that up from Handbook of Jewish Thought, Volume 2. For I would quote uh, Vayikra 19.2. And Romans 3. For you shall be holy because I, Hashem, your God, am holy. Yeah. But they are quite wrong if they think that no one is righteous. See this? <laughs> mm. Scripture is replete with the history of righteous people living righteous lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at last week's Parsha by Yirah. Abraham entertained guests. Um, yeah, do a concordance search. I would say if you have a Hebrew lexicon, get that out. Especially if you use logos like I do, because I could do a search for that word. You, know, you might be shocked at how many times the people of God are called righteous. Uh, of course, the critic will say that scripture is referring to imputed righteousness. Because in the critic's mind, no one is righteous. Oh, my gosh. In that regard, they are confusing theology with the plain text of Scripture. See, now this is where they're straying from the, the shot. Their theology is um, camouflaging the Scripture. 
in that situation, that throw out the theology immediately. It contradicts what the Torah is presenting us with. Yep. Face it, the scriptures say that those that do righteousness are righteous. Let the theologians spin it any way they can, but they are only deceiving themselves. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices present tense. <laughs> Righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. One of my favorite verses from Yochanan's first letter. 1 John 3, 7. And this is the apostolic writings. Yeladai, my children, al yat'e. Let no one deceive, etkem ish, let no man deceive you. Uh, ha ose zedaka zedaka. The one who does righteousness is righteous. <laughs> ha ose zedaka zadik. <laughs> the one who does righteousness is righteous. Okay, you're a zadik. Keshem shehu zadik. Like the name of he who is a Zadik. Man, I'm loving this Hebrew. This is amazing. I know, man. I'm just like, can't get enough. <laughs> Don't stop digging enough. Come on. Don't stop. Don't stop digging enough. Hebrew. You ever see that, nope. Did you ever see that movie Roll Bounce? No, but I've heard of it. Dude, we got a savior in the house here, man. You saw that movie? Yeah, my wife had it on DVD. <laughs> wow. Man, that is a throwback. Okay, but seriously, though, the other Shlomo, <laughs> shouts out to him, may he live and be well. He said uh, a, apparently a lot of the PU team for like the Yom Tovim and the Moxor, um, that they used to be set to Persian uh, songs back in the day. Or back in the centuries, I should say. So like old school Persian music from like the early centuries when the the writers of some of these uh, poetic, uh, the poetic liturgy that you see intermingled in the extra prayers during the Yom Tov and the Maksor, those were set to tunes that were uh, used by Persians during those days. 
So it have that it have that same kind of beat and cadence, but it would be these holy words. So I call them tacoon tunes or mixtape. But we were already doing that back centuries ago. Oh so, boy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, that drop right there, that verse. First John three seven. So you read from the Ivrit there, right? Yes. This is from the Dalish. Let no one deceive you. It's like um, uh, it's like that similar to the word um, you know da'a. I think of the first time we see that word used in um, Genesis 4 when Adam knew his wife And this was after the deception of the, of the Nakash. Yeah. Because how did the Nakash come to Eve? He just came to Eve just with um, Elohim rather than uh, Elohim Hashem. What is more difficult <clears throat> is why flawed characters in scripture are sometimes called righteous. <clears throat> For example, Lot. Here we go. <laughs> and I have that up in the Dalish. All right. You want to just read it from there as opposed to the rumination? Okay, this is uh, first Kepha 2, 7, and 8. et Lot. A Zadik. Second. Uh, just comes right out, says Zadik. <laughs> it's second, second, the second letter. <clears throat> oh, I mean, second, excuse me. <laughs> okay, by itself at Lot, a Zadik. Get you some. Hello, who? Anshe, Bali Ya'al. Ahem, be darke, zimatam, kihazade kaze yashev, betokam vehu, roe, otam, ve shomea, nafsho, ishara. Egu Egu Ma Alav Yom Ve Yom Be Ma Ma Ase Russia Rish Am. You know, and and righteous lot he saved or rescued by itself. 
at load hazarid. And we have the direct object marker on load in connection with him being a Sadiq. <clears throat> now, Peter obviously here understands that Lot is considered a Sadiq be only because he was dwelling among these wicked people. A righteous man in his generation. Yeah. Or in his city. <laughs> because notice that uh, there's another there's a word in here you know asher ha luhu anshe abelea al ahem bedarke zimatam you know he oppressed by them or his righteousness was his the potential for his righteousness was being suppressed in a place where there was extreme wickedness. Pretty good he could transfer. have been he could have been so much more. Oh yeah. Way more. Yeah. Uh Kihazadik Hazay. Uh, Yashav, dwelling in this righteous man, dwelling in their midst. He juxtaposes his righteousness against their wickedness. Right. You know, because, you know, it says, who uh, and he saw what they were doing. You know, be careful what you put before your eyes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just thinking about the people who surround Yeshua. You know, the people who rally, who rally around him, but walk in wickedness. Yeah. You know, some out of ignorance, others out of purpose, like they do it intentionally, you know. And it's just kind of like, now we can see a lot of why, pun intended, Lot went to Sodom, because that's where Mashiach is. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, he's like, okay, I can be surrounded by the wicked ones. Because it always intrigued me, why did Lot get considered to be righteous? But as we learn with Noah, Noah was only righteous because of who would descend from him. Yeah. Yeah. Same thing with Lot. His merit came from the fact that he possessed Mashiach. You know, and so Mashiach, it, just like he's in Rome, is the same way that Lot was in Sodom. Yeah. Because had Lot not been there, he wouldn't have been able to extract his two daughters. Which is crazy. And that they... Um, despite the the incest, there was a bit of a story from a about a rabbi who um, is this the rabbi Moshe Feinstein account? Yes, that one. I don't know if you got to see the drosh, but last Shabbat I read that whole account. You did? Oh man, so we're on that the, was the page first. Then. Yeah, that was the first thing out the gate. <laughs> But please reiterate. 
where he really came down hard on Lot's two daughters for their incest that they committed with Lot. Yeah. So just to uh, let everybody know, this is a this is an account that uh, Rep. Rev. Moshe Feinstein was given because he used to be uh, the Rebbe of a particular town. And when he was in that town, someone wanted to have a private meeting with him. And they told him this story about the drasha that they gave a week ago. Previous to his encounter with Rev. Moshe, he gave a drasha about Lot's two daughters and came down just harsh about it. And within a week's time, he got deathly ill and Rev. Moshe Feinstein was the last one he was able to talk to. So. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I remember about that account in Genesis is also that they got their father drunk before they had relations with him. <laughs> I'm assuming it's wine. Right. And I believe there's Yain, a myth that says it was either Mikhail or Gabriel that prepared that wine. Ooh. And wine yeah. goes in, secrets come out. Also, yeah. the Gematria of Yain is 70. They were of the nations. Yeah. Yeah. And then we know that Ruth is a descendant of those two, of one of them, Moab. Because and Moab, on a basic level, means from my father's house. Bro, oh my gosh. And then uh, Boaz does your boom in taking root, in a sense. Just like Abraham did with Sarai, who was originally... Um, Haran's wife. <laughs> had it not been for this. See, had the rabbi remembered this, I'm sure he would have lived a lot longer. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, a lesson there. Be careful. <laughs> Guard your yeah. tongue. Because it was saying that uh, they merited to be in the lineage of the Mashiach because they were uh, so zealous or so brazen because they could have lied and said, oh, we're from the house of Abraham. So miracles happen. It was a virgin birth. You know, like we didn't need men to have children. They could have said that because that's the level of Abraham's household that women could supernaturally conceive. But yet they didn't go with that narrative. They said, we did this with our father. So the, the level of honesty and integrity there and as disturbing as as crazy as it may sound, you know, like it was just like, no, those are stand up women for doing that. 
Yeah. And also bringing down the fact that to them, it was as if the world had ended and Lot was their last hope. Because again, we were talking about the flood, right? Yeah. Like with Noah, it was just like everything got wiped out. So the only people left were the people on the ark. So when this fire happened, it was as if the only people left were those three. Yeah, to them, that was the world. That was it. You know, which could tell us something about the measure of destruction <laughs> that was brought down on this place to where it felt like it was the whole world taken out by fire. Yeah, this is the generation of the dispersion on top of that. Um, yeah. But in our Musar class, we have two ladies from our synagogue that teach Musar. <laughs> One of them uh, uses the source called Windows of the Soul, Windows to the Soul. So she's our Gomorrah Avenger. <laughs> and uh, she was bringing down the insight from this source saying that Abraham was responsible for Sodom and Gomorrah existing because he rescued them in Parsha Lech Lecha from the four kings when he had to go rescue Lot. Okay. And then the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah had to be destroyed was because they could not be around when Yitzhak was born. And one more thing, that Sodom and Gomorrah will be restored only in the merit of Abraham. Oh, okay. One more thing on top of that. What does our master say concerning Sodom and Gomorrah and his condemnation of... Um, I forget who it was. Yeah, but I know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, you know, it's Sodom and Gomorrah will fare better in the day of judgment. Oh, woe unto you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Yes. There it is. Or if the deeds that were done in Sodom and Gomorrah were done, if the deeds that were done in your cities were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. But I tell you that Sodom and Gomorrah will fare better in the day of judgment than you. <laughs> and this is from the Humash with the Talmud. Uh-oh. And Abraham came to eulogize Sarah. Don't ask for heavenly judgment. If a person feels that he has been wronged by someone else, he should not ask Hashem to judge the matter and punish the other person. If one does make that request, the person who made the complaint is punished first. Ooh. We see this in the case of Sarah. She had said, my injustice is upon you. Let Hashem judge between me and you. But in the end, Sarah, who was 10 years younger than Abraham, passed away before him, as our pursuit notes. Oh and Abraham came to eulogize Sarah and bewail her. Rosh Hashanah 16b, Bava Kama 93a. Man, good night. Side note, that was repeated twice in the Basora. The uh, Bethsaida and uh, what was it again? 
Chorazin. It's repeated in Luke, I think. Yeah. So the first time Mashiach says it was when he sends out the 12. The whole, if they don't accept your message, shake the dust off your uh, feet. For a testimony against them. He says, truly, I tell you, it would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on judgment than that town that nice Gezer nice Shavah there. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I mean, that. How about Abraham himself or Sarai? We touched on this at the beginning. What about David? Oh, man. Wow. Woe to the unrepentant is basically these discourses of the Mashiach. Sorry, you're moving on. And I'm just like, I'm stuck. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> bringing more so you know you know searching it out gosh you know <laughs> back to the room these are men and women with real flaws and we pointed this out at the beginning of the episode here consider the line of Abraham and Sarah goodness that David had a man murdered after stealing his wife And I love the parable that Natan comes to him with. Do yeah, because how many wives did David have? <laughs> I mean, no wonder he uses that parable. But you know that's a lesson to us, right? Yeah. About being satisfied with our portion. Being content. I'm getting uh I'm getting heavy conviction over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I know I got all this stuff, but I'm just missing this one thing. It's like, okay, so you didn't learn from King David? <laughs> it's like, ouch. Oh, Who saw it hurt sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. When a stem is talking to you, you know, he's tugging on you. He's like, come on. Uh, that wasn't um, tough. That was, that was heavy. <laughs> That was being lassoed and hogtied, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Forget the branding, man. You don't want to know what that's like. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That, oh, my goodness. It keeps going, man. Who is a rich man? Someone who is satisfied with his lot. Lot in life. What does Yokonon say in uh, Luke? When uh, he's talking to everybody who's doing teshuva at his immersion, you know, Roman soldiers come up to him. And what does he say to them? Be content, be content with your wages. Don't exact no more than what's appointed. This is crazy. Okay, so the thing is, we're talking about rich people, right? And what was Natan talking about with King David? 
you know, the parable, there was like this poor person that only had this one. Yeah. <laughs> and it and was get, like, and get this. It was, that sheet was more beautiful than the person who had many. And the problem was that Delvide saw Batsheva bathing. And that yeah. was enough, man. That just tipped the scales, man. <laughs> wow. You know? Well, I'm, I'm getting like I'm getting like a lot of downloads on that, man. So <laughs> I guess I guess I just need to take some time and just Get my get my act together. Yeah, I'll confess. Me too. You know, we're if that's a righteous man, who's wicked? Ooh, oh, you have to go there. He went there. He's in rumination. Went there. If that's a righteous man, who is wicked? So this is why Yeshua says, don't call anyone Rasha. Sure. And what I read from the Humash with the teachings of the Talmud from uh, Rosh Hashanah 16b and Baba Kama 93a. And in that same tractate of Baba Kama, you have, uh, what is it? Uh, actually, it's Baba Metziah 54a. He who whitewashes his friend in public has no place in the world to come. Man, that's coming from the Hofetz Kaim on top of that. Okay, so and, one of the one of the downloads I got as we were talking, right? Looking at the parable, how did David get into the situation of being discontent with his life? He was lax in his Torah study. He should have been out to battle, but he wasn't. And he got distracted by a dove who flew and landed on the top of the curtain that was covering Bacheva because she was actually in a mikvah. So she was enclosed. And he like shot an arrow or something like that. And it got misdirected and, and it broke down the curtain, basically. And so she was exposed and he was able to see her. And so I'm just thinking about this scenario of like all these red flags. You know, because they, they, they say the same comparison kills, right? Like if you try to think about, well, that person has this and I don't have that you know, that person's cool, I'm not, you know, or whatever you want to say. But when you start getting into those modes, you're, it's like you're shooting arrows and one of those arrows will break down something that you should not be exposed to. And side note, you shouldn't even be in this disposition. Like you have a mission, you should be engaged in that mission because the thing about us as human beings, not only are we beers, but we're doers, right? If we get so fixated and caught up into something, chances are, you know, we're really focused on that. 
we we do a good job of fixating in on something that brings us pleasure and desire and things like that. Well, who would have thunk, right? Hashem gave us a purpose. And it's like when we do our purpose and our mission in life, it really consumes us. Yeah. And it's like if we spent our time doing that, we would never have a thought in our mind of how poor we are or how much we lack. Oh, yeah, we wouldn't be distracted with the temptations of this world. But it's like uh, it's like the master when he was 12 and his parents were desperately looking for him. Don't you know that we were worried sick about you, that we were looking for you? <laughs> well, why were you worried? Don't you know I must be about my father's business? This was in the temple. And they, and where did they find? Who did they find him with? The sages, <laughs> blowing their minds. <laughs> you know. And if that ain't a lesson, <laughs> anyway, that was just something I was getting, and uh, that's just something I really need to pay attention to, man, because. I do get kind of bogged down in this whole not satisfied with what I have. You know, it's just kind of like, I, if I just had one, if I just had this one thing, you know? Yeah, I know. It's so it, that's because we live in such a materialistic world. Yeah. It's part of your status, your position in life. And they put so much emphasis on that that they forget about the spiritual, the things that really matter. Yeah, this stuff is so temporal too. It's gonna, this is gonna be gone. Like iPhones are not gonna be a thing. No. <laughs> you know. Well, now you get into Kotam territory now. <laughs> yeah. You know. But Bro. this that this this statement from this rumination always stuck out to me. If that is a righteous man, who is wicked? Yeah. Or who are you to call that person <laughs> wicked? Right. That's LaShawn Hara, to be honest. And I hate, you know, and more truthfully and more to the point, this is what Christianity does. Oh, if you're not agreeing with the pastor or our way of doing things you're a rasha you're you're wicked you're lost you're done with you you don't have jesus in your heart that is simplistic and cruel and guess what's going to happen you are leveling judgment upon yourself because our judgment is meta connected meta <laughs> yes with what judgment that you judge, it shall be measured to you. <laughs> and what does Hillel say to the proselyte who comes to him? Do not do that which is hurtful to others. Who was that? Somebody was bringing this up that the reason why Hillel said it in the negative 
was because like for anyone, whether you're Jew or non-Jew, it's easier to have a negative uh, thing be something to start with, like as far as a, a, a starting block. Like it's easier to say, don't do what's hateful to someone as opposed to saying, do unto others as you would want done unto you. It's easier actually to say, don't be hateful to people because like you don't want them to hate you or yeah. what you don't want done to you, don't do it to other people. Yeah. I mean, we like fall that, into uh, that trap so easily at yeah. times, you know? It, I, I think it's way too easy, you know, especially the way this world is so polarized. How people have become so polarized and they're thinking of my... Me and my Huvuta were going over this, how people can be so polarized in their thinking that they can't get outside this box that they've put themselves in of their own perceptions. Yeah. You know, they, they talked about extremes. You know, we dealt with this last week, you know, with the question, you know, is Mashiach divine? That's a polarizing question. If you Ooh. allow it, if you allow it to be, Snap. So, you know, this a false balance is Toiva to Adonai, but a just weight is his delight. Our Musar needs to be balanced. Our, our study of the Torah needs to be balanced, just as you pointed out before this episode. That yeah. Yehuvuta is trying to impress upon you. And yes, my Yehuvuta was doing that with me too. He posed that very same thing to me. And I've been thinking about it the last three weeks. How important it is to have a balanced perspective, but we can only obtain this if our Torah study is balanced and objective. Well, Yasha Koak, because, I mean, not that I hate correction and reproof, but you kind of sometimes feel like, man, I'm trying to do the best I can. And then you get hit with stuff like that. And you're like, I thought I was balanced. And you're like, well, you can use a little bit more. And you're like, what definition of balance are you going with? Like, there's only so many wheels you can put on a bicycle. Like, even if you put training wheels on, like, what you want me to put more wheels on here? Like, <laughs> I remember those days when I was learning to ride a bicycle and I had the training wheels, and I thought that big fat tire would keep me up, <laughs> you know, yeah. banana seat and all, you know, dude. And you still fall off the tricycle, and I was like. <laughs> man so i get it but it, it's just it's good though it's it it makes you more humble it makes you more small you know you don't get the big head you don't like you don't get polarized so yeah um shouts out to her yes absolutely <laughs> Yeah, to mine, uh, Gabriel Lombroso. Nice. 
um, it's like they're the best of friends. They're the worst of friends. <laughs> Sometimes I think they're family, man, because only family knows you so well that they point out your flaws. You know, because yeah. <laughs> my mother does that all the time, man. Like you walk in the room, expecting a high five, you get punched right in the chest. <laughs> now my brother, man, if you want to talk about polarized there, my brother, he is so polarized in his thinking. It even drives my mother crazy. She's going, can you like not come to me with all this Christian nonsense? Man. But what's interesting is I, I was at the last, when we were out in California back in April, I was able to share with her Torah, she was actually listening to me. And she That's wasn't good. refuting anything I was saying. That's good. And I said, Haruka Shem. You know? Yeah. And I was telling my mother, look, this is not my own personal belief system. I'm, li I'm living the way Hashem says that we're supposed to live. You know, and... Um, And I know she's beginning to take it in. Uh, on my wife's side of the family, they're seeing our observance, the sincerity of it, that we're striving, you know. Yeah, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. But look at what we're dealing look with at the here. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I also say, you know, can a righteous person do a, a wicked act? I can't a wicked person do a righteous deed. Better believe it. You know, we can't be simplistic about it. Because, you know, Melech Shlomo and Mishle says, don't be simple-minded about these matters. But ponder them. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's a, there's a whole chapter on reward and punishment in the second handbook, and it will blow your mind about Hashem's just outright no respect of character. You know, like, you can be, like, one of the most wicked people in the world, but if you do a mitzvah, you're going to get credit for it. You're going to get rewarded for it. It's going to tip the scale in your favor. And I was just like, wow, never heard that back in church. Yeah, absolutely. You know? As Hebrew, Hebrews 11, and as I refer to it as the Hall of Faith chapter. Hall of Faith. By the way, before I read that, Speaking of murder, what did Moshe do? Come on, man. Which, by the way, I always connected to the false narrative out there about Yeshua. There's apparently something called Todel Yeshu, where it says uh, Yeshua took the divine name of Hashem and like flew in the air and battled some person in the temple and he got arrested for it and all this kind of stuff. Like there's a whole crazy story. So conceptually, Yeshua misusing the divine name to do something 
unlawful. I was like, where have we seen this before? Moshe using the divine name to do something unlawful. And he actually got arrested for it. Because remember, Moshe was put on trial. He was almost executed had it not been for the intervention of Hashem's angel. So it's interesting that there's a false narrative out there about Yeshua <laughs> using the uh, divine name to do some illegal things. Yeah. And gets arrested for it. Yeah, he invoked the 42-letter name of Hashem when he killed the Egyptian, who was... Um, the father of the... No, no, no. It's the Arizal. Yeah. Because the Arizal says that it brought reconciliation between him and Yitro. Yeah. So the Egyptian was the one Moshe killed, who was the blasphemer at the end of the one of the Torah portions in Leviticus. Yeah. Uh, Shlom, because Shlomi, he, or the philanderer person. Um, he was. If I remember the Ari's words correctly, he was a descendant of the disper of the generation of the dispersion, the Arab Rav. Wow. Wow. Hmm. Um, the other thing about Moshe, though, see, here's the other thing. He may have killed that Egyptian, but he rectified all the good sparks in Hevel because the gematria for Hevel's name is 37. <laughs> yeah. And that combined with the gematria of Korok's name. Because Korok is the Gilgal for Cain. Yeah, I mean, it's important to note, you know, the, the stark transformation and contrast of uh, Moshe when he did that one particular act versus what he did for the rest of his life. You know, there's a whole special category for people who murder and it's like you're technically not forgiven of your sins of murder because you cannot reconcile with the actual person that was murdered. You know, and so to think about that, another reason why Moshe wasn't allowed to go into the promised land, you know, and how his death had to be an atonement for the worship was a bell peor. You know, so like there's a whole lot there to take into account. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, Hebrews 11. Flawed men and women. As Hebrews 11 shows us, these flawed men and women are not known, are known not by their flaws, but by their faith, and by their righteousness. You know that's not the case of our generation today. It's like you mess up one time, oh, 
that's your name. You're Rasha. <laughs> your mistake is your name. <laughs> How and far so, are we going? Yeah. And so I will read Hebrews 11. Trusting is being confident of what we hope for. Bitacoma. And we find two words in that word, ken and tov. Benishkai. Oh, yeah. Yeah, convinced about things we do not see. It was for this that scripture attested the merit of the people of old. Flat out. That's it. Right there in a nutshell. <laughs> the merit of the people of old. By trusting, we understand that the universe was created through a spoken word of God. The ten utterances. So that what is seen did not come into being out of existing phenomena. Mamash. That right there, I would get out the Tanya and go straight to Sha'ar Hayakurve Emunah, chapter 7. <laughs> yep, that's why I had you send me that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at this. By trusting Hevel, who had 37 good sparks, <laughs> offered a greater, and I'm going to use the word offering, than Cain. Because of this, he was attested as righteous, with God giving him this testimony on the ground of his gifts. Through having trusted, he still continues to speak, even though he is dead. Ooh. Which, you know, they say if you quote a sage, right, their lips move in the grave. Right, yeah, I know. That's a good one. I love that one. <laughs> oh, by trusting Panok was taken away from this life without seeing death. And he became Memtet. <laughs> oh, a Jew blesses God a hundred times a day. Memtet. <laughs> he was not to be found because God took him away. For he has been attested as having been prior to being taken away, well-pleasing to God. Mm. You know, a question that people often ask, why do the good die young? Mm -hmm. It's because they've completed their mission here. Zedekim, you know. Yeshua, when he said on the cross, it is finished. Yeah. He's the epitome of the good dying young. 
Yep. That was his mission. Yeah. And without trusting, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to God. Because whoever approaches him must trust that he does exist and that he becomes a rewarder to those who seek him out. <laughs> Torah study. <laughs> Yeah, because the word for seek out is drush. Yep. Part S, the orchard. By trusting Noah after receiving divine warning about things yet unseen, was filled with holy fear and built an ark to save his household. Through his trusting, he put the world under condemnation and received the righteousness that comes from trusting. By trusting, Abraham obeyed after being called to go out to a place which God would give him as a possession. Indeed, he went out without knowing where he was going. We don't know where we're going. That's a big point, man. Because most times when we leave and pack up for vacations and things like that, I mean, how much planning do we do? Like, man, I got to get food. I got to get gas in the car, like all this, all this stuff. And it's just like, boom, I know where I'm going. How do you prepare to go to where you don't know where you're going? You're going. Yeah. He just went with all that he had. Man. That's that's genuine Amuna, right there. Because what does verse one say? Um, In Hebrews, yeah, the substance of things so for the evidence of things not seen. By trusting, he lived as a temporary resident in the land of promise as if it were not his. Exactly. Even though he bought it. Yeah. I mean, where was the tour given? In a no man's land. land. Ownerless. Nobody, nobody owned it. Yeah. So nobody really owns the Torah. And yet it's given to us. Mm -hmm. And what you know, and Yeshua said, search the scriptures, for in them you find that they testify of me. Yeah. <laughs> I come in my father's name, and you don't receive me. But if another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And the father is the Torah. I mean, that's basically saying, you know, you want the lawless one. Like you're ready for the kingdom of 
the Yetzer. You're ready for the kingdom of Satan, like the prince of the power of the air. That's basically what he's saying. Like, you're clearly showing who your allegiance is to. Yeah. Whom do you serve? Yeah. Lived as a temporary resident in the land of promise, as if it were not his, staying in tents with Yitzhak and Yaakov, who were to receive what was promised along with him. For he was looking forward to the city with permanent foundations of which the architect and builder is God. By trusting he received potency to father a child even when he was past the age for it. <laughs> as was Sarah herself because he regarded the one who made the promise as trustworthy. Therefore, this one man who was virtually dead fathered descendants. As numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the grains of the sand on the seashore. All these people kept on trusting until they died without receiving what had been promised. This is how we need to be in the, in the footsteps of Mashiach, and the, even in these days, even though we are accorded the privilege of seeing things that the prophets have prophesied about. Because our master said, blessed are your eyes for what you see, for the prophets have longed to see them. Yeah. I was just going to say, too, to your point about this is how we need to be with the footsteps of Mashiach. Like, we know we're close, right? Yeah. But if it if we don't see it in our lifetime, that doesn't negate our yearning. That doesn't negate that it won't happen. Right? Because if we look at our forefathers, they showed us when Hashem says something, he's going to do it. You may die before he does it, but you're going to live to see it. Because actually the forefathers were brought back to see their children being delivered from Mitzrayim receiving the Torah to go into the promised land. They were able to see that, <laughs> you know, but like they weren't there. They died. They passed away knowing, or they passed away in the middle of not owning the land that Hashem said, Oh yeah, this is yours. <laughs> oh, you know what? The same with Moshe. He was, even though he wasn't allowed to enter Eretz Israel, there was a really important reason for that. Yeah. He was brought back to see it, though. Yeah. Yeah, all these people kept on trusting until they died without receiving what had been promised. That's how we need to live. Hashem, help us. They, all, they had only seen it and welcomed it from a distance while acknowledging that they were aliens and temporary residents on the earth. That, that's us, man. <laughs> wow. For people who speak this way, make it clear that they are looking for a fatherland. Now, if they were to keep recalling the one they left, 
they would have an opportunity to return. But as it is, they aspire to a better, better fatherland, a heavenly one. This is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Mm. By trusting Abraham when he was put to the test, offered up Yitzhak as an <laughs> offering. Yes, he offered up his only son. He who had received the promises, to whom it had been said, what is called your seed will be in Yitzhak. For he had concluded that God could even raise people from the dead. <laughs> That's faith. Tekiyat. Um, I'm 18. I'm 18. Which, by the way, that was another part of the teaching that I did on Shabbat. The reason why Abraham said, we will go up and we will return, like we, because Yitzhak is the same gematria as Ben Yosef. And Yitzhak's name permutes, like rearranges, to one who will come back at the end of life. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he knew when his son was killed that he'd be raised up. This is why resurrection is nothing new. No. Yeshua says, I am the resurrection, the resurrection and the life. life. He says that even before. Which but by ultimately, the way, he's pointing to the Akeda. That's what I was going to say, because that's he's speaking in a sowed and a concealed way. Yes. You, Say this that he's basically saying I'm Yitzhak because that's what Yitzhak represents the resurrection and the life yeah yeah because yeah I did yeah he received a Shanelu Kohabri page 111 yep <laughs> he received a new Nefesh he received his Olam Habaso yeah his neshama, yeah. Because <laughs> that, that's what Yeshua showed his Talmudim. Because that's what he received then. Yep. Firstborn of the, or the first fruits of them that slept. Yep. That's figuratively, Yeah. And continue, uh, and figuratively speaking, he did so receive him. By trusting Yitzhak in his blessings over Yaakov and Esau made reference to events yet to come. <laughs> By trusting Yaakov when he was dying, blessed each of Yosef's sons, leaning Ooh. on his walking stick as he bowed in prayer. Mm. By trusting Yosef near the end of his life, remembered about the exodus of the people of Israel and gave instructions about what to do with his bones. Mashiach ben Yosef, the Etz M. We carry the bones, the very essence of Mashiach back to Eretz Yisrael, restoring his Jewishness. Yep. By trusting the parents of Moshe hid him for three months 
after he was born because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they weren't afraid of the king's decree. By trusting Moshe after he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose being mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. Another thing that we should be like, we should be willing to suffer the disdain yeah, we, of the world. If we, if we don't suffer with him, we won't reign with him. Yeah. Anyone who's uh, accepting the yoke of suffering is done with sin. And it's crazy too because Moshe, like he would, he could have never gave us the Torah because he could have just grew up in the palace and became the next Paro. Easily. Like he could have just kept his mouth shut and just rose to the throne. Do what he was told. Had everything he wanted. Oh man, I mean that just speaks to what this world is like now. You know, you never think telling you the be quiet, wear your mask, take the jab. You know, yeah, don't question us. You know, and everything will be fine. You know, but but it's like if you did that, you would never bring about the revelation of Hashem and creation. Yeah. Just I mean, think about it. We call it the Torah of Moshe. Like, that could have never happened if he stayed in the palace. And that would have been the Torah brought down by the hand of Moshe. Like, that changes the Vizot HaTorah, you know? <laughs> like, I share some who, like, by the hand of who. He would have been the ascending Yesh to meet the descending Atzmus. Descending to Melech uh, HaMalakim, the king who reigns over kings, the Holy One, blessed be he. He knew before whom he stood. That inside front cover on my Sudur, man. Know before whom you stand, the king who reigns over kings, the yeah. holy one, blessed be he. I... This is crazy, just having a what if scenario play out in my head, but it's like really just rocking my world to think about that, though, with Moshe, like, if he didn't do all those things, like, he traded an easy life. I mean, it would have had its struggles because, I mean, what Pharaoh trying to run Egypt has an easy kingship. But instead of having to wander in the wilderness, be separated from your wife and children, uh, get complained about as a horrible leader, and people say, I'm hungry, I'm, I'm uh, thirsty, like, did you bring us out here to die, you know? you take too much on yourself you're trying to rule over us like to get insult after insult after insult it's like i'm a king y'all better shut up <laughs> you know like <laughs> don't you know who i serve yeah you know and it's just like he never went there 
and the world responds like Pharaoh did the first time. I don't know your, this God of yours. So yeah. why should I obey him? Anyway, this is this whole this chapter. I mean, I've read Hebrews 11 so many times, but it has never hit like this, you know. Yeah, for me as well, you know, now that I look at it from the perspective of the Torah, because that's what he's doing here. He's fleshing it out for us. But the what's more more important is. We got it. We need to internalize it for ourselves. It has to mean something to us in our walk with Hashem. Yeah, that's in why. Our, yeah, in our living for Him. Yeah, we're going to stumble and fall. We're going to make mistakes. They're going to happen. You know, but a righteous man gets up seven times. He falls seven times. He gets up. That's right. You know, um, yeah, by trusting Moshe after he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose being mistreated along with God's people rather than enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. He had come to regard the abuse suffered on behalf of the Messiah as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he kept his eyes fixed on the reward. Spirituality versus materialism. <laughs> By trusting, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, not fearing an earthly king's anger. He preserved, persevered as one who sees the unseen. And then it goes into my favorite chapter. <laughs> By trusting, he obeyed the requirements for the Pesach, including the smearing of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn will not touch the firstborn of Israel. And we know that Israel is the firstborn of Hashem. Mm -hmm. By trusting, they walked through the Red Sea as though as through dry land, when the Egyptians tried to do it, the sea swallowed them up. And to quote the Arizal for that one, he handed over Iov, over to the Satan. Scapegoat. Azazel. <laughs> Man. So that the Satan would be distracted and not prosecute the Bene Yisrael at the Yom Suf. And that was Mita Kanega Mita. Why? Because Iov counseled Pharaoh to strip the B'nai Israel of their wealth and to enslave them. And the same thing happened to him. Goodness. That just blew me away, man. When I read that from the Ari, I said, I often wondered why. You know? Mm-hmm. By trusting, the walls of Jericho fell down after the people had marched around them for seven days. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
this is one of two places other than, okay, in the Torah, I believe in Exodus. And I also believe in Baikra 23. And then in Yehoshua, the word Yovel is used instead of Teruah. Hmm. Declare freedom throughout the land, Jubilee. If I'm not mistaken, the sages also say that the Torah was given in a jubilee year. Yeah, what's crazy is the other Shama was talking about that, like the when we were um, taken out of Mitzrayim and the correlation between that and the jubilee. Yeah, because that's why you don't see the word Teruah in there. Yeah. In Exodus 19. It's Yovel. Okay, by trusting Rakhav, the prostitute welcomed the spies and therefore did not die along with those who were disobedient. And the gematria for uh, Rakhav is 210, the exact number of years that Israel spent in actual slavery to the Egyptians. Wow. What more should I say? <laughs> There isn't time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Shimshon, Iftak, David, Shmuel, and the prophets who through trusting conquered kingdoms work righteousness. Mm. Receive what was promised. Shut the mouths of lions. Quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. Had their weakness turned to strength grew mighty in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, resurrected. You know, that's talking about the Shunammite woman from last week's Haftar. Oh, yeah, that Elisha, right? Mm-hmm. Laid upon him and brought him back to life. Which means... When Yitzhak was offered at the Akira, who laid upon him and brought him back to life? Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was on a trial of being mocked and whipped, then chained and imprisoned. They were stoned, sawed in two, murdered by the sword. They went about clothed in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated wandering about in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. The world was not worthy of them. All of these had their merit attested because of their trusting. Nevertheless, they did not receive what had been promised because God had planned something better that would involve us so that not only with us would they be brought to the goal. Nice. Of course, this thought continues, you know, because of chapter divisions, we have this mistaken impression. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, like chapter 12, because it's my favorite verse about fixing and focusing your eyes. So then, since we are surrounded by such a great 
cloud of witnesses. It's like he's saying the clouds of glory are a witness. Mm -hmm. A testimony. Why? Because it hovered over to Ohel Moed. And we know the Mishkan is a testimony. Let us do put aside every impediment that is the sin which easily hampers our forward movement and keep running with endurance in the contest set before us. Oh, yeah. Probably one that's unpopular, verse five. Also, you have forgotten the counsel which speaks with you as sons. My son, don't despise the discipline, Musar of Adonai, or become despondent when he corrects you. Man. For Adonai disciplines oh, those oh. he loves and whips everyone he accepts as a son. <laughs> Re- regard your endurance as discipline, for God is dealing with you as sons. For what son goes undisciplined by his father? All legitimate sons undergo discipline. So if you don't, you're a momser and not a son. <laughs> Have at it. <laughs> Man. As Hebrews 11 shows us, these flawed men and women are known not by their flaws, but by their faith, by their righteousness. So in that chapter, one thing should be evidently clear is that their flaws are not mentioned. <laughs> their faith is evidenced by their righteous deeds, gives witness to the ideal man or ideal woman. <laughs> Although we see their flaws, we also see a persistent pressing on to know Hashem. The balance of their lives is not their flaws, but the shining example of their obedience in those moments. We see the ideal man, the ideal woman in them. Yeah, now we can know why Shaul said strain and press towards the high mark. That's what Zadikin do. Oh, yeah. Our flaws are many, but may our faith and obedience to Hashem be evidence of the ideal man and the ideal woman that Hashem desires us to be. Something else of interest in the um, Umash with the Talmud um, on 23, verse 2. Batamat Sarah Bakirat Arba. 
Hebron is called Kiryat Arba, the city of four, because of the four couples buried there. One, Adam and Hava, two, Abraham and Sarah, three, Yitzhak and Rivka, and four, Yaakov and Leah. Arabian 53a, Sota 13a. But I definitely like the one, don't ask for heavenly judgment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the sages say, you know, it's like you're not asking for the sake of heaven. So, with this last verse in the rumination, Adonai ordered us to observe all these laws to fear Adonai, our God, always for our own good, so that he might keep us alive as we are today. It will be righteousness for us if we are careful to obey all these mitzvot before Adonai, our God, just as he ordered us to do. That goes great with the First John passage. First John 7. Oh, absolutely. Nice. He has commanded us to do, and that person is considered a zadik. Man, so many great connections. Yep, absolutely. Ah, there's something else. Um, on 24, verse 1 of the Parsha. Um, Yeah, see, Barak et Avraham Bakol, and Hashem had blessed Avraham with all the humble ones live out their allotted years. A person who is haughty will eventually be brought down. He will also pass away early. However, if he repents, he will live out his years, as did Avraham and our other forefathers. This can be seen from the Pasuk that says they were crushed like all that leap away. If they are humbled, crushed, they will leave this world, leap away after living a long life, like all that is, like our forefathers, about each of whom the Torah uses the word all. Here it says, and Hashem have blessed Abraham with all, Regarding Yitzhak, it says, 
I ate from all. And Yaakov said, I have all. Sota 5a. Oh. who controlled all that was his the yeshiva of Eliezer uh, the term Sakain uh, elder as an acronym for Zay Kana, this one has acquired wisdom by referring to Eliezer as Zakan uh, Beto, the elder of Abraham's household. The Pasuk teaches us that he was the wise elder who studied in a yeshiva. The Pasuk continues and says that even beyond his studies, it was Eliezer who controlled all that was his, Abraham's and he was given permission to establish his own yeshiva and teach the lessons that he had learned from Abraham, Yoma 28b. Yeah, then a little bit from the the Torah commentary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Vaihu Kaye Sarah, May Shana Ve Esrim, Shana Ve Sheva, Sheva Shanim, Shane Kaye Sarah. Sarah was not her name before Genesis chapter 17. Before that, she was known as Sarai. In a cursory view of the Genesis account, we are presented with a woman who seems at times to be less than ideal. The entire account with Hagar, which that were, the, the permutation on Hagar, it could also be Hagar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Yishmael, the laughing at the promise of Hashem, etc. However, we would do well to remember what Hebrew says about our mother, Sarah. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised, Hebrews 11, 11. Judged him, not herself. <laughs> so who is this woman that we are to think of her? What does the Torah really teach us of Sarah? First, she was not Abraham's half-sister, as is often understood by some commentators. The explanation Abraham offers to Abimelech in Genesis 20, verse 12, is often misunderstood because of ignorance of ancient Near East adoption practices. The fact that Isaac uses exactly the same excuse with Rivka further explains this. Instead, 
traditionally Sarah is understood to be Abraham's niece. That is derived from Genesis eleven twenty nine. Then Avram and Nahor took wives. The name of Avram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, which is another name for Sarai. The daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Ishka. Itzka being the, uh, or Yitzka being another name for Sarah? Yeah. Okay. Yitzka is traditionally understood to be Sarah's birth name. Or uh, in modern terms, her maiden name. <laughs> Ishka means one who watches or one who foresees. Hmm. Sarah's name before Genesis 17 was Sarai, which is a derivative of the name that Hashem gives her in Genesis 17:15. Most Bible dictionaries will give you the definition of these names as my princess and princess, respectively. There are varying views of this. The sages make a point of the exchange of the Hebrew letters A and Yod between Sarah and Yehoshua from Hosea. All those things may be, but if we focus upon them, we may miss the point of the name change. Let's look into that because I think it's significant in light of Hebrews 11. Sarai and Sarah share the same Hebrew word, root, the verb sarar, which means to exercise power or to prevail it is where we get the messianic title Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. Comes from this, yep. That's deep. With this in mind, the, the name Sarai, my power, becomes power with the change to Sarah. Sarah is truly a woman of power, Eshek Kayu. She is remembered in this week's portion when she dies by being a woman of life. It is the title of, it is the life of the promised seed. And the power is the power of Hashem. She is a noble woman, a woman of virtue. She is Eshekayil, as Proverbs 31.10 details. Eshekayil, woman of Woman of virtue, woman of accomplishment is the ideal woman. This is what the writer of Hebrews was reflecting on and remembering Sarah as an example of faith. Proverbs 31 details how Eshekayo reminds us of ideal Sarah. Setting aside her failures, we see her as the ideal woman of God. All women of faith are to be Eshekayo. To be an Eshekayo is be a daughter of Sarah, to be a woman of power, a woman of the power of Hashem. All those who follow her ideal example are her daughters. We find a poignant moment toward the end of this week's portion that tells us about the first recognized daughter of Sarah. Then Isaac brought her, Rivka, Rebecca, into his mother Sarah's tent. 
and he took Rivka and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This week, as you study the Torah portion, reflect not only upon our mother Sarah, but also how Rivka demonstrates how she shows herself to be a daughter of Sarah and how both of them are exemplified in Proverbs 31 and the Eshet Kayil. Eshet Kayil from Proverbs 31 is what I sing over my wife each Arab Shabbat as our way of beginning Shabbat. I sing to her before she lights the candles that for us divide the days of work from the day of rest. As all women of faith should model themselves after our mother, Sarah. My wife is a daughter of Sarah. She is an Eshet Kayu. Here is the end of that passage. Ozve Hadalur Le Busha Batishkak Le Yom Acharom Pihapa Patka Vehokma Vetorah Hasel Aole Shona. Sophia Holocaust beta ve lachem at loot lo tokel Kamu va neha ve ash ruhav bala ve hala Robot bano ashu kail ve at alit al kulana Shaker hachen ve havel ayofi Isha Yirat Hashem He Tit Halal Tanu La Mipri Ayedeha Vehaluha Vasharim Maaseha. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the Torah of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears Hashem, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit, give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Uh, and for extra measure this time around, the prayer focus. Yehi Ratzon, may it be your will. After lighting the two Sabbath candles, Traditionally, the women of the house pray this prayer. May it be your will, Hashem, my God, and God of my forefathers, that you show favor to me, my husband, my sons, and my daughters, and all my relatives, and that you grant us and all Israel a good and long life, that you remember us with beneficent memory and blessing, that you consider us with a consideration of salvation and compassion, that you bless us with great blessings, that you make our household complete, that you cause your presence to dwell among us. 
privileged me to raise children and grandchildren who are wise and understanding, who love Hashem and fear God, people of truth, holy offspring, attached to Hashem, who illuminate the world with Torah and good deeds, and with every labor in the service of the Creator, please hear my supplication at this time. And the merit of Sarah, Rivka, Raquel, and Leah, our mothers, and cause our light to illuminate that it not be extinguished forever, and that your countenance shine so that we are saved. Amen. Amen. I believe that sums it up nicely. <laughs> Does. Close it out with the Baraka. I thank you, O Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall and you have not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early and they arise early. I rise early for words of Torah and they arise early for idle words. I toil and they toil. I toil and receive reward and they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come and they run to the pit of destruction as it is written. And you, O oh God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out after days. But as for me, I will trust in you. Amen. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu Torah temet vechaye olam natan betokhenu. Baruch atah Adonai notain ha Torah. Baruch Haba Bishem Adonai. Adonai.